Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This content is not suitable for children, and listener discretion is advised. It was nearing 1.30 on the afternoon of Tuesday, July 31st, 1951, in the riverside town of Burton-on-Trent, a town sandwiched between Tamworth, Leicester, Birmingham and Nottingham. The chief of Staffordshire CID, Superintendent Tom Lockley, responded to a call from the residents adjoining the Burton-on-Trent Girls High School. As he approached the property on Newton Road, a country thoroughfare just outside of town, he wasn't sure what to expect. At the end of the long tree-lined drive, 50 yards from the road, the home of the headmistress sat completely shielded from the traffic by trees. He was greeted by the home's domestic help, Mrs Emily Plummer, who was in a state. She explained that she had arrived earlier to carry out her duties, but no amount of knocking could wake 52-year-old Winifred, so she found a way to get herself in. Mrs Plummer had then tried the master bedroom door and found it was locked, presumably from the inside. Winifred was due to go on a summer holiday that day, but had reported that she wasn't feeling well and decided to put off leaving for a day. When Mrs Plummer managed to get the door unlocked, she saw Winifred was still in bed, the covers pulled up over her. As she approached the bed, all she saw was blood. My name's Benjamin Fitton from They Walk Among Us. Welcome to Murder Town, the podcast. Following each episode of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, we'll explore another case right here. Superintendent Tom Lockley went straight inside and entered the front bedroom. As he drew the covers back, he was confronted with Winifred's lifeless body still in her pyjamas. Her head and face covered in blood, and sticking out of her throat was a white pearl-handled penknife. On the edge of the bed sat a tin of sausages, its rim stained in blood. When Lockley saw the two head wounds, he had no doubt that the murderer had used the tin, possibly before attacking her with the penknife. It could only be assumed that the can of sausages came from the headmistress's pantry, but with the bedroom door having been found locked and the window found closed, all officers were scratching their heads as to how the murderer had got into her room in the first place. And if the sausage tin came from the kitchen, how did the person get into the bedroom? Looking around, there seemed no motive for such a brutal murder, 
and they had to consider whether the killer was known to Winifred. Nothing seemed disturbed elsewhere in the house, no jewellery stolen or sign of any break-in. There did, however, appear to be one thing missing from the kitchen drawer. For a home with so many tins in the cupboard, there was no tin opener. When looking around the house, nothing else seemed out of place until Lockley scoured Winifred's bedroom floor. In the middle of her bedroom was a single sprig of plant. He looked closer and realised it was deadly nightshade. This mean it was an intruder after all. All available police officers in the area were called to the home and the school grounds. Thirteen members of Burton's police force were on the cricket field playing a game against Walsall Borough Police when the urgent call came in at the end of the game. Chief of Staffordshire CID Superintendent John Gittings and forensic scientist J.M. Webster were called in. Together with Tom Lockley, they conducted a thorough search of the house and garden. Winifred's body was taken for examination by Professor Webster of the West Midlands Forensic Science Lab in Birmingham. As headmistress of the girls' high school, police knew that this was not going to be a quiet affair and the public would demand answers, and quickly. They'd need to determine whether there was a murderer out there who might be a threat to the tight-knit community before things got out of control. Police called all teaching staff back to the school in hopes that someone may help with their inquiry. Hugging the River Trent north of Tamworth on the eastern side of Burton, Newton Road is home to a few schools in the area, many built in the early to mid-1900s when education diversified and school numbers grew. The small school buildings in town were soon too small for Burton High School, which it was known as by 1951, so a decision was made to build a new school on the acreage surrounding the old house called the Woodlands the house where the head of the school would live, where Winifred lived. It had been five years since the introduction of the Education Act of 1944. The Act had made considerable changes in the education system, calling for the abolition of school fees for state secondary schools. It also created more opportunities for girls' education, as well as opening doors for the working class to have access to better schooling. It made it the local authority's duty to provide school meals and milk to students, and that same year, 1951, Winifred's school became a state-funded all-girls secondary school. Headmistress Winifred Mully was known as the most popular woman in the district, understood to have hundreds of friends and adored by everyone. When inquiries were made as to whether anyone might have had an issue or a vendetta against Winifred, Not one person could think of anyone who would want to harm her. Winifred Mully was a woman without an enemy in the world, as her friends and colleagues would say. 52-year-old Winifred Mully had worked hard to get to her position as the headmistress to 600 girls at Burton High School six years earlier. She had earned a scholarship at the high school in Leeds to attend Newnham College in Cambridge, where she graduated with honours. After six years as headmistress in Sheffield, she was chosen out of 91 applicants for the position at Burton Girls. Winifred had just closed on the purchase of a house of her own in Burton, some distance from the schoolhouse. The morning before her murder, she had arranged a car to take her to the station for a holiday, but not feeling well, she cancelled it and thought she would wait one night and recover. As fate would have it, she would make neither her holiday or the move into a new home.
Winifred's only brother Cyril was called to Burton and upon his arrival was escorted by police to the station to learn of his sister's fate. The local police called in the help of Scotland Yard and within the day two Scotland Yard officers, Superintendent John Black and Sergeant Peter Bryce were dispatched speeding 200 miles to arrive at the scene of the crime. They held a meeting and arranged a fresh search for the following morning. A line search was carried out on the 10 acres of land around the home and school. House-to-house questioning began in the neighbourhood, but with the area quite rural, no one who lived nearby had heard a thing. One of the officers noted that you could scream blue murder on the property and likely no one would hear. 400 yards from the house, however, officers came across a small bush of deadly nightshade. It was the only bush in the entire area. A clue that the assailant had to have travelled on foot past the bush towards the house, a sprig likely catching on their shoe or trouser leg. The superintendent from Scotland Yard made a public announcement on their findings, including the sausage tin, the sprig of nightshade and a set of fingerprints found in the bedroom. All would be sent to London for testing. It was surmised that the blow to Winifred's head by the sausage tin was the fatal injury which they believe occurred the night before her body was found. The knife in her neck, although injured her greatly, was not what killed her. The possibility that a woman may have committed the crime was announced to the public. The force and nature of the injuries were believed to have been carried out by someone of equal weight to Winifred. A gardener from the school came forward with information that a teenage boy had been seen on the grounds the night before the murder trying to open the windows of the school. He'd been found by a gardener asleep in the greenhouse the day before the murder and told to leave. A description was sent around describing him as scruffy-looking, 16 to 19 years of age, light hair, wearing a navy pinstripe suit and dirty brown shoes. After consideration of the sprig of nightshade, the sighting of a youth in the school attempting to open windows, they had to consider the possibility that the killer may have been a young vagrant. Word came from a local train station that a youth fitting that description had purchased a train ticket to Bristol. A bank manager and three cashiers received phone calls at 10pm, greeted by officers requesting their urgent help. They met with detectives straight away in an attempt to trace the £1 notes used to purchase a ticket by the youth, travelling from Burton to Bristol that night. After an hour and a half of painstakingly inspecting all the notes delivered to the bank from the night's takings at the station, one of the cashiers noticed the pound notes with what appeared to be blood on it. Scotland Yard immediately arranged for the note to be sent to London for testing. Meanwhile, detectives were dispatched to Bristol to begin door-to-door house visits with the local CID in search of the youth. Scotland Yard Superintendent Black put out a statement that he wished to speak with a youth aged between 16 and 19 who left Burton for Bristol by train the same day Winifred's body was found. They believe the person had arrived at Temple Mead Station later that same day with no luggage and on a single journey ticket. He was described as being 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 10 tall with a pale face, thin features, light hair wearing a dark suit and no hat. They then announced their belief that robbery was the single motive for the home intrusion. Given the fact that Winifred was unwell and had postponed her holiday, she was not supposed to be at home 
and there was every chance that the person who broke in may have assumed the house was empty and been surprised to find Winifred there. They believed the suspect may even have panicked. By this time, 150 officers from three counties were searching for the youth and were set on the fact that he may have been a vagrant. They believed he was the same person seen sleeping in the school's greenhouse, trying to open windows and purchasing the train ticket to Bristol. It fit with the theory that he may have entered the house and stolen food from the cupboard. He may have entered Miss Mully's room surprising her and himself, killed her and then fled. After this, their theory was that he either locked her door from the inside, escaping out the window, or locked it from the outside and took the key. A further search for the youth began nine miles east of the murder scene, after a man phoned in to say that he had seen a young man in sodden clothes sitting on the side of a road. The young man he saw was about 18, with light brown hair and a badly scratched face. He was wearing a brown suit drenched with rain and he was carrying a mirror in one hand and in the other, a pitchfork with a broken handle. When the youth realised the man had seen him, he bolted. Footprints were found leading into a wood from the road, indicating a man had been running. When scouring the addresses of local townsfolk, police found the details of a 20-year-old man, an army absentee with a Derby home address and an eerily similar physical description to the youth they were looking for. A report came in that a blood-stained sports jacket had been found in an empty train carriage near the Templemead station in Bristol, the station the young man had been seen getting off the train at. The carriage had last been used on a Bradford to Bristol train route the same day Winifred's body was found and had stopped at Burton-on-Trent just a few hours after the murder. At the end of that journey, the carriage was shunted into the sidings and stored until it was next required. Over a week after the journey, police boarded the carriage to find the jacket hanging from a coat peg. The train guard was adamant that the jacket was not there when the train was moved. He suggested that the person who owned it had broken into the carriage to sleep and had inadvertently left the jacket in there. The police had little doubt the jacket belonged to Winifred's murderer and they were hot on his tail. 200 miles south of Burton-on-Trent and 150 miles southeast of Bristol on the south coast of England, a Worthing police officer picked up the phone and called Superintendent Tom Lockley in Staffordshire. A young man believed to be the suspect had been located asleep in a boat on the Worthing waterfront. They had identified him as John Fenton of Derby, his address matching the 20-year-old army absentee they had been searching for. Fenton was confirmed to be an army soldier with the Royal Pioneer Corps unit, based at Lockerbie Camp, Dumfrieshire, and was confirmed as absent from his post. At 11.30pm that night, Superintendent Lockley arrived at the Worthing Police Station to meet the detectives from Scotland Yard and collect a statement from the suspect. When Fenton was told they were inquiring about a murder, he replied, I thought it was because I was a deserter. They told him they knew he had murdered Winifred Mully. In evidence, police didn't just have the tin of sausages. They also had a drinking glass that he had used and a sheet of writing paper. Both had Fenton's fingerprints on them. There were two other things police had been keeping under wraps. During Winifred's autopsy, blue fibres had been found under her fingernails. These blue fibres had been matched to the sports jacket found in the train carriage, as well as the description of the suit the suspect had been wearing. 
Mrs Emily Plummer, the domestic help who had found Winifred's body, had also told police she had noticed the cup and saucer found in the kitchen had a spoon with it, something she thought highly unusual, given that Winifred never used a spoon. Fenton confessed he had murdered the headmistress. He made a statement and was transported by police to Burton where he was formally charged with Winifred's murder. While Scotland Yard officers were questioning him, an officer left the room to issue an urgent public appeal for a three-inch bedroom door key. Fenton had just admitted in his interview that he had taken the key from her door and locked her in while she lay dying from her injuries. He had discarded the key in a side street in Burton. Finding it would help secure his conviction. While held on remand, the magistrate agreed to let Fenton's mother in to visit him. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 20-year-old John William Fenton admitted to murdering Winifred Mully and gave police a formal statement of what happened. About a week before the murder, he left his camp at Kirtle Bridge in Scotland and went to Carlisle. He had reported another man on camp for taking his suit, and he was afraid if he returned, the other man might hurt him. After borrowing a suit from someone, he made up his mind he would not be going back to the army. The day after arriving in Carlisle, he walked most of the 20 miles to Penrith, where he stayed for a few days. He then went to Kendall, which left him with just a shilling in his pocket he found a truck parked at a lay-by looking like it was getting ready to go south, so he hid in it and slept as it travelled, reaching Burton-on-Trent later that night. He roamed around Burton through the night not knowing what he was doing, then as daybreak arrived he planned to get home to Derby. About half past four that day, he went onto the grounds of a house, starving, and ate apples off a tree. 
He slept the night in a greenhouse and was awoken the next morning by a gardener asking what he was doing. He told the man he had missed the bus. Fenton had slept the day in a nearby field and had the idea to return to the greenhouse where he slept again that night. On the evening of July 30th, when he approached the school property from the nearby field, he saw the house. He sat watching and thought it looked as if no one was home. After trying some windows, he found the kitchen window open and so let himself in, hoping to find some food. As he opened the pantry, he saw tins of food and stuffed two tins, one of which was sausages, into his pocket along with a tin opener. He boiled the kettle, making himself a cup of tea, got some bread, butter and jam and began eating at the table. His statement then reads... I went upstairs and had nearly reached the bathroom when the woman came out of the bedroom door. She had pyjamas on. She said, what are you doing? She took hold of me by the arm. I must have lost my head because I took a tin out of my pocket and hit her on the head with it. Then we struggled into the bedroom until we reached the bed and I hit her again with the tin. She seemed unconscious. I then saw a knife on the bedside table. It was an ordinary penknife. My mind was in such a mess... I did not know what was going on, and I stuck it in her neck. I then covered her over with bedclothes. I then saw her handbag on the table, and I took five pounds out of it. I then realised what I had done, and thought about committing suicide. Anyway, I thought I had better get away as quickly as possible, so I took the key from inside of the bedroom door, and I locked it from the outside, and caught a train to Bristol and Brighton, where I stayed for two days until the money ran out. From there I went to Worthing where I slept in a boat, hoping I would die or something. The court was completely silent that November, as John Fenton took the steps up from the cells into the courtroom to sit for what was expected to be a short hearing. During the proceedings, the magistrate accepted the defence's application for Fenton to have a medical examination at a hospital outside of the Winston Green Prison, where he was being held. He reserved his defence and was granted a legal aid certificate for two councilmen. At trial, Fenton was not called to give evidence. He sat for the two days of proceedings silently with his head low. The only audible sound heard coming from him were the two words, not guilty. The jury heard of a young man with a low maturity level. A neurologist stated that Fenton was grossly feeble-minded and would not have known what he was doing when he struck Miss Mully. The court heard how his father had taken his own life in 1932 while Fenton was a baby. The following year Fenton had suffered from meningitis and during his army service had suffered from neuroses. Regarded as a relatively mild mental illness that is not caused by any organic disease, neuroses can include symptoms of depression, anxiety, obsessive behaviour and hypochondria and it was not an uncommon diagnosis in the army. The trial was short and the jury deliberation even quicker, with the guilty verdict being handed down almost immediately. Everyone in the court, including Fenton, knew what 20-year-old John Fenton's guilty verdict meant. Death by hanging. The jury made a strong recommendation of mercy on Fenton's life owing to his mental immaturity and as Mr Justice Stretfield passed down his sentence he agreed to pass on the jury's recommendation to the proper channels. When summing up, Justice Stretfield said, What a tragic reflection it is that except for the fact that Miss Mully was feeling unwell, 
she would have gone away for the summer holiday that day, instead of which she decided to go away a day or two later. But for that cruel fate, doubtless, she would have enjoyed her summer holiday and been alive and with us today. In 1951, the death penalty was still the mandatory sentence for murder. The only alternative would be a reprieve which was a purely political decision and not a legal one. The approval of a reprieve was out of the court's hands. It would be another 13 years before the British government would abolish the death penalty altogether. From 1900 to 1965, when the death penalty was abolished, 1,485 people were sentenced to be hanged for murder in Britain. Half of them were either reprieved or died awaiting execution, and of the 755 people eventually hanged, only 14 of these were women. In addition to the jury's request for a reprieve on Fenton's death sentence, the Home Secretary Sir David Maxwell Fife also recommended a reprieve for Fenton. The reprieve was granted, and Fenton remained in prison. In February 1961, after just nine years in prison, John Fenton was released. He returned to Derby, where he met a woman called Jean, and by the March of 1962, a year after his release, they were married. Three months later in June, according to Jean, Fenton just got up and left. The following month, she found out that her husband had been found dead after gassing himself to death. During the inquest into his death, John Fenton's criminal record came up. Jean had known he had spent time in jail and believed him when he said it was for burglary. What she didn't know was that he had been originally sentenced to death for murder. The coroner, surprised to learn that Jean was none the wiser, asked the constable present at the inquest if when you go to marry someone, there was any way of finding this sort of thing out. The constable then informed the court that a person's record is confidential to the police. He could not see them releasing it to anyone without a valid reason. Jean said, We were happy together, but in June he just left me. I loved him, but then I didn't know he was a murderer. I would have never have married him if I'd have known. I'm Catherine Kelly, host of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, Murder Town. Join me next Monday at 9pm in a visit to Watford, famous for its delightful parks and charming high street, but also the location of a brutal stabbing. For more information on the series, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and let us know your thoughts by searching for Crime and Investigation on social media or using hashtag MurderTown. The Murder Town podcast is hosted by Benjamin Fitton, written by Anna Priestland, produced by Sam Pearson and Chloe Frost, with editing by James Colopy. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.